Well, hello, everyone. This is JB with NBW Ministries, proclaiming, as always, the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my humble studio tucked away in the undisclosed location beneath the tall timbers here of Colorado. Thank you so much for joining us. It is Thursday, September the 28th, and I am so excited to have a dear friend and colleague and a man that's meant the world to me through uh, the years, and we've had the chance to interact many times in a variety of contexts. Uh, joining us today, Russ Miller. Uh, he is a uh, creation scientist, uh, an expert in the area of creationism. And uh, I'll say more about him in just a moment, but you are going to love Russ. Many of you probably already have heard him. He's been on a lot of the major uh, prophecy programs and Bible teaching programs. Uh, and I know he's going to be a delight to you as we talk about the age of the earth and why that really matters. But before we get started, just a couple of uh, quick uh, reminders, we've had a great week already here. On Monday, uh, we posted our uh, message from uh, Georgia called Rise of the Global Technocracy, and uh, that's available as a video and an audio podcast. Uh, and then on uh, Tuesday, we posted our video and audio interview with Gary Stearman at Prophecy Watchers on Could Yuval Noah Harari Be the False Prophet? And I'll be uh, speaking more about that. Uh, as we uh, as we look forward to the speaking engagements this fall in October, November, December. And then uh, yesterday, of course, was our World Events Update with Randy. And tomorrow we've got Shane back on for our weekly technology update. But I uh, wanted to mention the books came in this week a, a day later than expected. You know, we had promised that they would ship out to our uh, customers, the folks that purchased them from Not By Works, by Monday the 25th. We ended up shipping them out Tuesday the 26th. Uh, by now, everybody should have received their tracking number. Uh, and uh, can't wait to hear back from those uh, of you that get a chance to dive into that book. Um, so thanks for your prayers on that, and thanks for your patience, too. We had sure hoped that we would get them out even earlier than promised, uh, but the uh, shipping uh, took a lot longer than we had anticipated, and there were a couple of hang-ups. But anyway, all is well now. We're all caught up on the orders, and uh, those of you that have purchased the book, uh, it should be on its way to you, if not already uh, arrived. Uh, those of you that are interested can go to spiritofthefalseprophet.org, spiritofthefalseprophet.org. That's the latest installment in my uh, three-volume triad series. We did Spirit of the Antichrist volumes one and two last year, and then Spirit of the False Prophet, the Rise of the Global Technocracy just came out September uh, first. And uh, so before I introduce my good friend uh, Russ, I want to mention uh, a verse of scripture that I think uh, is pretty appropriate given our subject matter today, and that's Genesis 1-1. Genesis 1-1. I've talked about this recently, how you know the Bible begins, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And even though the Bible begins with those three words, it's actually two words in Hebrew, in the beginning, uh, so many people kind of leave that dangling out there, and they don't think about the end. And in fact, uh, as we're going to talk about with Russ in a moment, a lot of people today are scoffing and making fun of anyone who is interested in God's end times plan. But it strikes me as odd that they would have that reaction because, of course, the Bible begins in the beginning, which begs the question, what's the end? Where does this go? And indeed, the Bible tells a story of God's plan of the ages that comes full circle from the pre-fall uh, sinless state in Eden all the way to a another sinless state in the eternal heavens uh, and, and newer, new earth and heavens and earth. So uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so uh, I want to introduce my friend, Russ. We're going to talk about that verse and many others. But uh, Russ and I first met doing uh, Stealing the Mind conferences together with Bill Perkins and Compass International. And uh, we became fast friends. We've interacted quite a bit. In fact, we uh, sell Russ's creationism materials, his book, The Cost, as well as uh, some of his DVDs uh, in our ministry, because uh, I don't think there's anybody out there that does it better. And even though creationism is a passion of mine, and I've certainly taught on it and talked about it, I'm I'm not the expert, and I, I always like to to recommend Russ Miller. Uh, his website is creationministries.org, uh, creationministries.org, and uh, that's where you can find out all about him. And you can get his books, his DVDs. Uh, sign up for his newsletter, those kinds of things. Uh, but uh, we've had him in our churches through the years, had him in special events. We've shared the platform many times. So, Russ, it's my pleasure to welcome you for the first time to the Not By Works podcast. Hey, JB. It's great to be with you today. Well, it's my pleasure. And I know he's Russ is making a real sacrifice because he's actually about to embark on, what is it, like a three-week uh, international tour or tr trip here? 
It is. It's a uh, 21 day trip, and we're heading out in the morning, uh, ending up in Cairo, Egypt, and then we'll from there we'll be to Rome and on a cruise ship that ends up in Israel, and then back to Rome with stops in Athens, Crete, Corinth, Ephesus, and several other places. It's a Bible Lands cruise uh, with Bill Perkins and Compass, who you mentioned earlier. Yeah, Bill's a mutual friend of ours. He's a, been a great blessing to both of us. We were in his home not long ago doing some ministry up in uh, that Pacific Northwest uh, where he lives. But uh, I'm jealous. Uh, one of these days, I'm going to, uh, you know, join uh, Bill on that trip. And uh, just uh, been haven't had the haven't had the time really. We've had the opportunity. We just haven't had the time. But uh, I hope it goes well for you. But what's cool about Russ is, you know, Russ and I are like minded in so many ways. But one of them is our understanding of the need to be prepared and recognize uh, self-sufficiency and things like that. If the Lord doesn't come back soon, we, 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 we certainly don't want to depend on the government to help us or anything like that. And so Russ lives uh, in a kind of a pretty remote area off the grid, so to speak. And it's difficult to, to do interviews with him because of his connectivity issues and things like that. So I was delighted that when I reached out to him, he said, well, yeah, I'm going to be in a hotel uh, getting ready to, to to fly out of Phoenix the, the next morning, and it would be a perfect time to connect. So thanks for squeezing us in here. We really appreciate it. Oh, so, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. So let's fun. let's dive in. I, you know, one of the, I mean, there's so many ways we can go. I definitely want to talk to our listeners about the importance of creationism and why young earth creationism, first of all, is biblical, and second of all, why it matters, uh, but also the relevance of that to Bible prophecy. But to, to begin with, uh, one of the things that's kind of a, uh, just a, a real personal pet peeve of mine is when people when I come across people in various contexts who will say something like this, Russ, they'll say, you know, JB, you always mention, you know, the earth being roughly 6,000 years old. And I just, I don't believe that. And I, I was taught in my seventh grade biology class that the earth is millions of years old. But, you know, frankly, JB, I don't know why that really matters. As long as we believe God created it, what's the big deal? And that just is like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. Uh, what do you say to someone when they have that attitude about the age of the earth? Well, JB, that is uh, also like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. I understand they, they, they're saying that out of, um, not, I don't mean this in a bad way, they just say it out of ignorance because they're not being taught why it's important. But I would go back to, you mentioned Genesis 1, verse 1. You know, the first five words found in a Bible, in the beginning God created. The first five words, God declares himself as the creator. So it's important to God. He starts out with creation that defines himself as the creator, and um, Satan is going to focus his attack right there at the start of the Bible. He's going to focus his attack on creation because it's foundational to who God is. It's foundational to who Jesus Christ is. You know, and, and the book of John starts out, in the beginning was the Word, and all things were made by the Word, and we're told the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ, the Word of God, is our Creator. So, when we go back and we start denying the biblical Creator, when we deny the biblical creation, we're denying the biblical Creator, who is Jesus. And worse than that, we start making up different ones. We either lose our faith and walk away, or there's lots of people out there trying to sell you on a different Jesus. Now, I used to be a theistic evolutionist. I'm not attacking any such person. I'm here to help them, just like, praise God, somebody helped me. But it's very important because Satan doesn't have to get you not to know what the Bible says if he can get you to make up a different Jesus and follow him. Now, to me, I think that's a very dangerous place to be. Yeah, no question. And, you know, that's Satan's MO from the very beginning is to kind of question God. And, and the very premise of, of that question that I, that I started out with, uh, really kind of betrays a, a marginalizing of the, the power of Almighty God and his creative power. Um, if, if you say, well, it doesn't really matter how old the earth is, or it doesn't really matter whether God created the world the way he told us he did. As long as you believe there's a God, as long as you believe he's the creator in some form or fashion, isn't that enough? Well, that's kind of what 
what Satan did to Eve, you know, you know, has God really said, or here's why God really said that. And he just starts questioning God. And it, it really is foundational. And uh, of course, it has all kinds of implications. It's been said many times, if you don't believe the first uh, five words of the Bible, why, why would you believe the rest of it? But uh, so so tell us in your mind, you, know, you mentioned the, the fake Jesus. I have a lot to say about that in the new book. Uh, we did a interview with uh, an AI Jesus, and I have the transcript of that in chapter, I think it's chapter six of the new book. Really disturbing. That's my favorite chapter by far. Uh, and it it's just amazing what you can do with AI now and how just as the Bible prophesied and Jesus himself prophesied, uh, the closer we get to the return of the Lord, the more uh, false Christ you're going to see. So yes, Jesus is the creator, as you said, John 1, uh, Genesis 1, 26 and 27 speaks of the triune God. Let us make man in our image. That's speaking of God who eternally exists in three persons. But you know, as you think about this implications for salvation, uh, a lot of people miss the theological importance of understanding that you can't have millions of years before mankind and and still and and still understand anthropology, hemardiology, the the atoning work of Christ. So, talk to us a little bit about that. Okay. Um... Uh, I'm going to ask a question. Well, well first, I, I wanted to uh, mention, since we're talking about creation and, and prophecy, let me just let me just mention three uh, verses out of the New Testament that have to do with the false Christs. Um, in Matthew 24, the disciples asked Jesus, "What would be the signs of the last days right before the end of the world?" And the first thing he warned them of was false Christs and false prophets. Which part of that don't we understand today? In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 4, we're warned that there of folks falling, in, falling after and following another Christ, uh, accepting another spirit, following another gospel. So there will be false Christs preaching a false gospel. In Galatians 1, 16, uh, it's actually almost just just wondering out loud, how can you be so soon removed to another gospel? Mm. Um, so there will be false Christ and false gospels. Uh, what I tell people, JB, is if anyone, I don't care if they, they know the Bible inside out and they comb their hair nicely, which isn't a problem for me, by the way, and, <laughs> and uh, no matter how great they sound and how great the Christianese is that they speak, if at the end of the day, they're leading you to a different Jesus other than the one who is found in the Bible, and that one says he created in six days, rested on the seventh, that's etched in the stone by God's very own finger in the Ten Commandments. He says he judged man's sin with a flood that covered all the high hills under the whole heaven, and we're going to talk about that flood because it is a linchpin in the war of worldviews. If they are preaching to you any other Jesus than that Jesus, you need to run away screaming at the top of your lungs because they are trying to get you off that narrow pathway through that one straight gate into heaven, which is Jesus Christ, onto a different Jesus. And yeah. there are many different ones out there. No doubt. I mean, and and it's uh, it, and that's what people where they make the mistake. You know, even well-intentioned Christians, and and you're right, it is ignorance, not in a pejorative way, but just in a. They haven't really studied it, and they certainly haven't been taught it in today's churches. But they try to compartmentalize, and they think, well, God is the creator, and it doesn't really matter how, and Jesus is the savior, and it doesn't really matter how. But but if you really take a look at God's self-revelation to mankind, the word of God, you know, Jesus ends up becoming a liar, if you believe, in an old earth. Am, am I right? Absolutely, because you're denying what Jesus said. In fact, let me mention another verse, uh, Galatians 1, verse 7. And and we're being told about it. It's it's another gospel, but well, not exactly another gospel, a perverted gospel. Mm -hmm. yeah. In other words, it's somewhat there, but it's all, almost like a mutated version. It's not the true gospel. Um, uh, we're talk. We're told about a great falling away, and I know. Some folks think that's a rapture. Some thinks it's apostate church. I, I'm when what I'm seeing, I'm thinking maybe it's both a double meaning. But over ninety percent of our seminaries and colleges 
Christian seminaries and Christian colleges now teach old earth beliefs. Now, let's talk about why the age of the earth matters. Yeah. Uh, JB, I would say today, and it's because of old earth beliefs, I would say 95% of Christians, and this includes most pastors too, they cannot answer the vital yet simple question of how can we have a loving God in this world full of death and suffering? This is actually the first thing I cover now in every one of my messages. And I start all my messages out with this same uh, talk. But how can we have a loving God in a world full of death and suffering? Well, if you believe in an old earth, you can't biblically answer that question. Right. Explain why. Uh, here's the biblical answer. And it's very simple. It'll, it blows people away when they hear it. How can we have a loving God in this world full of death? Well, the, the answer is God didn't give us the world the way it is today, full of death and suffering. No, no, God gave us a perfect creation. Well, it's not perfect today. What in the world happened to it? Adam's first sin. Adam's original sin. It brought on the curse that allowed death to enter, and that's why we live in a world full of death and suffering today, yet we have a loving God. Now, that's the biblical answer, but it should go further than that. Uh, the rest of the answer should include that original sin that brought in death also separated us from God, and that required us to be redeemed with him. But, J.B., as you and I know, we're sinners. We're all sinful. We can't redeem ourselves with God because you have to be 100% sinless, 100% righteous to be redeemed with God, and all of us fail on that. We, we all have sin, either told, said something that wasn't true, etc. And so how loving is God? Despite our sin that corrupted his creation and brought in death and suffering and separated us from him, he sent his only begotten son to suffer and die on a cross, his shed blood covering our sin. And JP, this is what's vital to understand. The only thing he asks us to do is to believe in him, to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So going back to the first part of our conversation, when you deny Jesus as creator, he's three main persons. He's creator, judge, and savior. When you deny him as creator, and you deny him as judge, and worse, make up a different one which fits with the foundation of secular atheistic humanism, you're making up a different Christ. And uh, so, what I tell people, and I can't, I, I've studied this for 20 years, I can't say that person is not saved. I can't say that. Only Jesus can say that. But I can tell them they're worshiping a different Christ who fits with the foundation of atheistic humanism. And I can show you verses where Jesus warned us of false Christ and where Jesus warned he's the way, the truth, the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by him. But what, where I, I come in with folks that are, let's say, theistic evolutionists or progressive creationists or gap theorists is, hey, let me show you why you can drop those beliefs and, and believe in the, in the Christ found in the Bible. And then you don't have to worry about, you know, what Jesus will say on that day. He may say, hey, it's a loss of rewards, but you're still saved. Or he may say, get away from me. I never knew you, you worker of inequity. So yeah. I just want to show people why they can believe in the, the Jesus of the Bible. Yeah, and this Jesus of the Bible, by the way, is the one who said in Mark chapter 10, verse 6, from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. That work, that verse right there, Jesus' own words, uh, is essentially the the fatal blow to old Earth beliefs. Because of course, let, let's define some of those alternative views that you mentioned there. The the old Earth essentially says that God created the Earth, you know, millions of years ago, and then eventually He created mankind. Uh, and there's different ways he, he got it. You mentioned several progressive creationism, uh, uh, theistic evolution, uh, gap theory. But the bottom line is you've got, in no in, in matter which one of those options you choose, you end up with millions of years of death, decay, and destruction prior to mankind. And another key verse, uh, coupled with what Jesus said about the beginning of time was when male and female were created, is um, Romans 5.12. You paraphrased it earlier, that wherefore by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. So you can't have death until you have sin. You can't have sin until you have Adam. You can't have Adam till the beginning of creation. So, I mean, it's all very clear uh, in Scripture, and, and it really does matter, doesn't it? Well, it does. You know, the old earth beliefs, 
and, and today's old earth beliefs that are worshipped today, they were only invented about 220 years ago, and they didn't start to really become popular until about 160 years ago. So these are a fairly new invention. But, JB, what I want to point out clearly so folks will realize this, is every old earth belief, no matter how well-intentioned you might think it is, puts death prior to Adam. And that's the key right there. The old earth beliefs place death before Adam. And that's why most Christians today can't answer the simple question, how can we have a loving God in a world full of death? See, if you have uh, accepted an old earth belief that places death before Adam, you can't turn around and say Adam's sin brought in death, if death brought in Adam. And that's, that's the issue with the age of the earth. Subtle but totally devastating, Satan is an expert at what he does. Now, and keep in mind, Jesus said you tell good from bad by the fruit. Which part of that don't we understand? What, what, are, what is the fruit of these old earth beliefs only invented 220 years ago? Well, the first major fruit of old earth beliefs is Darwinian evolution. Now, those two have combined now. They, they're now the foundation of, of naturalism, humanism, and humanists own the system now, secularists. Uh, they're, they're, they're the foundation of, of theistic evolution, progressive creation, gap theories, and all other non-biblical beliefs. And I don't mean to step on anyone's toes in a bad way there. I'm trying to help them to let them see. Those are non-biblical beliefs, and you're denying Jesus as creator, denying him as judge. But you're saying, I do want salvation, so I'll believe in the salvation part, but I'm not accepting the rest. That's a dangerous place to be, my friend. Yeah, it is, because, because as you said, it's it's certainly possible for someone who today holds an old earth belief to have, at some point in their journey, believed in the Jesus of the Bible and, and believed the gospel and been saved. So we're not suggesting that getting into heaven is contingent upon wh whether you believe in a young earth. But I tell you what, the, the old earth beliefs are promoting a different Jesus, no question about it. And so anyone today... Christian or not, who's holding on to old earth beliefs is definitely, uh, you know, holding on to a, a different Jesus. And of course, you know, that happens. People get led astray. They get they get saved in simple childlike faith because they believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died and rose again for their sins. But through bad teaching, through in various influences, they could end up being uh, being led astray. But yeah, I mean, I, I tell you, I, I've uh, I've picked up a few things, uh, it's a few of your sayings uh, along the way through the years of, of us working together. And and uh, but I got to tell a quick Russ story. You know, one of the churches that we had you in, you you taught one of the messages. I wish I could remember the title, but it was one of your more powerful, often menticide that's it public education menticide yeah and of course i've been very outspoken about all that as well especially in the latest three books and uh we've homeschooled our kids and spoken at large homeschool conferences so it was i loved it i'm sitting there cheering in the background but after that message and after you had left town one of the folks in our church uh schedule a meeting with me this was years ago uh and he uh we didn't even live in colorado at the time and he was i mean red-faced hopping mad that you you know exposed what it, i mean he didn't say it this way but what was really he was mad about was that you exposed the truth behind the compulsory government schooling agenda and and all that that's happening in our classrooms today and so that's one of the things i love about russ is uh you know, he yeah, bring him in and he he leaves and I have a big mess to clean up, but it's a good mess. It's a, it's a good it's a holy mess, a good mess that uh, needs to happen because uh, I tell you what, you do not shy away from it, my friend. So so I felt mad about that, but you know, I I didn't say anything that would make should make anyone mad. I was just showing them what's going on in the public schools, and I think his wife was had a pretty high paying job in the public school system, and that's what got him mad. Oh yeah, yep. That's he right. Should have been the one teaching this, not me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, it was great, and it was well received as it should be, and I was loving it. And of course, like I said, I picked picked a few uh, things that you've mentioned uh, up through the years, and 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 repeated them just in my own natural sayings because it, it is uh, it is important. Uh, it does matter. Uh, it matters. Uh, because it impacts the very trustworthiness of Christ. I mean, if Christ didn't really mean it when he said that, uh, you know, from the beginning, God made them male and female, then, 
how can we trust what he says about the good news? How can we trust that he truly died for our sins, that he offers forgiveness freely by grace? Uh, those kinds of things. So it's really, you know, it really is a zero-sum game. Now, as it relates to prophecy, which, of course, is a passion of mine, and I know yours as well, um, you know, Second Peter 3 is a is a pretty interesting passage, and a lot of people miss, you were the first one to kind of point this out to me, they miss the implications of that passage for Darwinian thought in terms of, you know, constant processes. So talk to us about, well, let me read the passage first, just so we have some context. For Second uh, Peter chapter 3, where, of course, uh, Peter is warning about uh, how in the last days, he says, knowing this first, Second uh, Peter three three that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, "Where is the promise of his coming?" And that's a past. That's the part of the verse I've keyed in on a lot because there are those that say, "Look, for years everybody always every generation says Christ is going to come back, but he never does." And this is all a bunch of sensationalism, and I don't have any use for it, which of course is completely contrary to God's emphasis on prophecy in Scripture. But it's the next phrase that's interesting. So these scoffers are saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, our, our grandfathers, in other words, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So this is what these scoffers are saying. What, what are the implications of that? Well, that's actually a spectacular prophecy in the New Testament. Uh, they're, they're basically, as you said, questioning Jesus' return, and then they get into claiming that all processes remain the same as they were from the beginning of the creation. Today, that's a process, uh, the big fancy word is uniformitarianism. It just means uniform. Things are uniform. In other words, processes that we see today have always been pretty much the same. So I lead tours to Grand Canyon, have for 20 years, take about a thousand people a year on Grand Canyon tours through a biblical view, which blows away the secular view quite quickly, by the way. And let's say they would they could measure scientifically operational science, the uh, testing, repeatable testing of observable evidence. You could measure the amount of sediment being taken out yearly from the Grand Canyon by the Colorado River. Now, because they believe it's always been the same uniformity, as foretold in 2 Peter 3, they say it took this river you know, six or seven million years to form that canyon. But let me show you, let me, let me just give an example of what a faulty theory uniformity is. And remind me, we should, we should uh, discuss the difference between operational science, real science, a believer's best friend, and historical science, okay? But... Talking about uniformity, you, you take these processes that you can observe today through operational science, real science, but you apply them to past events that are not observable. That's where you get the historical science. And they'll say that it took six or seven million years for the river to carve out Grand Canyon. By the way, the river had nothing to do with the formation of Grand Canyon. <laughs> but let's say uh, you drain the oil from a car. Most people have done that or seen it happen. You pull the plug out in the bottom of the pan and bullish oil pours into the pan below. And let's say, let's say you've never seen that and you believe in uniformity. You come along the next day, you see a full pan of oil. You watch and watch and watch. And once every 10 hours, one drop comes out. Well, based on uniformity, you figure it took about 250,000 years to fill that pan with oil. <laughs> Yeah, you missed you missed the beginning. You missed the genesis of what you were seeing after the fact, right? Yes, you didn't see it happen. Let's not say a car ruins another car, and in a millionth of a second, that hood is crumpled, it's crushed. Let's say you've never seen that, and you believe in uniformity. You come along, you see the crumpled hood, you measure that it's hardly moving at all today, and based on its current movement, you assume it took about four and a half billion years to crumple that hood. So... <laughs> Uniformity is false science and it's faulty assumptions. And that's that's the difference between real science, a believer's best friend, and false science like historical science. Operational science, what most people think of when they hear the word science, is knowledge derived from the study and testing, repeatable testing of observable evidence. And you repeat a test over and over and over and you get the same result. It becomes a scientific uh, hypothesis, a scientific fact even. Um, 
operational science. So real, real science is a believer's best friend. Most people don't know it today, JB. But um, I, was, I was speaking in a high school last year, and the kids came in, and they were just scowling at me. It kind of surprised me. I, was expe I expect that at colleges, but I was surprised the high schoolers were already that indoctrinated. And God just handed this to me, and I started out by saying, hey, before I start, I want to ask you all, how many of the 200 or so branches of modern science do you all think was, were started by Christians? None. <laughs> Try 82%. And it blew them away. All of a sudden, the cross arms melted, and they were open to hear the information I was there to share. So people need to realize there wouldn't even be science, real science, operational science, without Christianity. Now, historical science is, is a different issue. When, when, there's a, when there's controversy between what the Bible says and what is being sold as science, it is always historical science, not operational science. Historical science, remember, operational science is knowledge based on the study and testing of evidence. Uh, historical science are, is not knowledge, it's assumptions based on taking operational science processes we can observe today and based on the belief in uniformitarianism, applying those to unobserved events of the past. And those that's just like draining the oil from a car or the, the crumpled hood. Their findings are way off base because they're based on uniformity. In fact, if you would, finish Second Peter 3, 3 through 6, if you have it handy there. Yeah, you bet. So uh, uh, just to pick it up from the beginning, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God, the heavens of old and earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being f uh, flooded with water. So they, they're going to, there's two things. They're going to claim uniform processes, and then they're going to be willingly ignorant of two things. One, that the heavens were made mature. Oh, God couldn't get light here in a six-day creation. And two, and this is really the most important one, they will deny the global flood. Mm -hmm. This is spectacular prophecy, JB, because... For the past 150 years, secular geology has been based on two beliefs, uniform processes and no global flood, just like 2 Peter 3, 3 through 6 said they would do. It's absolutely mind-boggling. Amazing. Uh, said this, I mean, 2,000 years ago, what you'd be thinking, who, why would someone deny the flood? Who cares about the flood? Well, the old earth beliefs are based on the earth's crust, the stratified layers separated by grain size, weight, and density by moving water. So we have stratified layers making up the crust of the earth, all sand grains together, all mud grains together, all limestone grains together. That's the reason we have the stratified uh, rock layers uh, making up the earth. They were laid down by the flood full of billions of things that were drowned and buried before they could rot away or be eaten by scavengers. But based on the belief that they form uniformly, at today's rate, which is about an inch per thousand years, they say, wow, it took, you know, 500, 600 million years for those layers to form. And that's the re that's where the old earth beliefs come from. The geologic column invented about 220 years ago, popularized about 200 years ago, um, started becoming popular and really taking over about 150 to 160 years ago. People run around, everything's millions and billions of years today. That's all coming from a belief in uniform processes yeah. and open flood. And I had the privilege of hosting, uh, not by Works Ministries, did one of your Grand Canyon tours and uh, taking a group there. And uh, I, I remember you uh, so clearly pointing out the different layers and explaining how that, that was created just in a matter of days because of a global flood, not millions of years. But another example of uniform processes and, and why that is such a, a false notion is just think about creation. And as we just read here in Second Peter 3, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them mature. When he created the earth, he created mature trees, you know? And so suppose you, you know, you had the chance to go back in time and based on what you the way you see people age today you meet adam you jump in your time machine you go back to the first man adam and you meet him and he looks like a 35 year old man and you see you go adam how old are you 
and he goes, oh, I'm about five seconds old. And you go, you go, oh, no, that's not possible. You've got to be at least 35, 40 years old. Uh, you're making assumptions, uh, but you weren't there. God spoke the world into existence in perfect uh, maturity at that time. And of course, it was sinless uh, perfection. And then, as you said, every old earth scenario puts death before sin, which is a direct violation of Romans Romans 5.12. But uh yeah, I mean this. This so talk to us a little bit more about the Grand Canyon. By the way, uh, obviously the summer season has winded down, but uh, folks, uh, every every summer Russ leads these tours, and we still hope to host them. Uh, some again, we've done a couple. One of which Wendy and I were able to go on. The other one we just kind of helped promote and didn't get to make it on that one. But um, hopefully, Lord willing, if the Lord doesn't come back soon, we'll be able to connect again for one of those, but uh, I encourage you to check out creationministries.org and sign up for one of those. It really is life-changing when you begin to see how central the global flood is to the entire debate of the age of the earth, right, Russ? It is the, uh, whether or not there was a global flood is the linchpin in the war of worldviews. Most folks never give it a second thought, but again, the older beliefs are based on the belief on uniform processes and no global flood, the geologic column or time scale. Radiometric dating techniques must get a date that matches the column or time scale to get selected. It really comes down to that. In fact, let me, let me mention what I call the top uh, five pillars of old earth beliefs. Uh, well, number one is the belief in uniform processes and no global flood. Number two is the geologic column, which is based on the belief there was never a global flood in uniform processes. Number three, radiometric dating. That much that must get a date that matches the column based on the belief in uniform processes and no global flood. Number four, uh, dinosaurs based on the stratified layer they're in for the geologic column based on the belief there is never a global flood in uniform processes. And then number five, Grand Canyon. I'm gonna might have double counted something in there. Grand Canyon based on the belief it formed uh, slowly or and uniformly, not quickly, as a result of a global flood. So it always comes back to that global flood and uniform processes. So 2 Peter 3, 3 through 6 is a spectacular prophecy. And JB, you probably heard people say, well, a day and a thousand years are the same thing to God. Well, think about that. Think about this. That verse, we're talking about 2 Peter 3, 3 through 6, where scoffers are going to deny the flood and claim uniform processes. Well, the response to those scoffers in verses 3 through 6 are found in verses 8 and 9. And and the answer to those people is, and I'm going to paraphrase here, it's basically, hey, God will send Jesus in his perfect timing when he's good and ready. And whether that's in a day or in a thousand years doesn't matter to God. He's not saying they're the same thing. In fact, he's He's comparing them as polar opposites. Exactly. Yeah, it's a it's a figure of speech. It's not a formula. And yet so many people point to that and Moses' statement in Psalm 90 where he makes a similar analogy and they they turn it into this formulaic uh pattern where you can you can turn, you know, each day uh, into a thousand years or, or this kind of thing in, in the creation account. But that's just so patently, uh, obviously wrong. And it's embarrassing that people would actually, you know, treat the scripture that way. I mean, when the Bible says day in, in the context of Genesis, it's a 24 hour day. We don't get to randomly pick what day means. I mean, when the children of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days, they didn't march around Jericho for seven million years, you know? And uh, so you don't, just because it conforms to your humanistic belief that, as you said, was only less than 200 years old, uh, you don't get to twist the Bible and twist the words of, of scripture. And and by the way, that is another a key point here is that most of, all of the old earth beliefs originate with a premise that was taught based on darwinian you know uh, mindset uh, and then they but these are christians they love the bible they love the lord and so they say well i i believe what darwin says because my teacher told me it was true and i believe the bible how can i reconcile them and they end up changing the bible to conform uh to the image of man uh and but one of the phrases that i picked up from you and and often use is that you've used a couple times already is that uh, real science is a christian's best friend and you know we're all looking at the same data, 
So it's not like the you know Christians are ignorant or blind to the data. We're looking at the same data, and then we compare it to Scripture, and we go, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Whereas uh, you know, science—if we learned anything from the pandemic, Russ, by the way, it's this that the 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 way science is often bought and paid for historical science like you talked about uh, i mean i got kicked off of youtube because i was showing journal articles from the early 20th century in places like the lancet and new england journal of medicine and uh, a journal of american medical association uh, peer-reviewed scientific journal articles that clearly said that masks are of absolutely zero effect and even counterproductive against severe acute respiratory you know viruses and uh and then all of a sudden out of nowhere uh fauci can't stands up and declares that oh the science has changed uh and because they needed it to to you know for their their uh luciferian agenda but anyway i digress so yeah the grand canyon uh you know if 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 the grand canyon was formed by over millions of years because of a river i mean i've traveled a fair bit uh all across the country been in all 50 states multiple times traveled some internationally i know you have as well and you know i've noticed a lot of rivers haven't you there are a lot of rivers out there how come we don't see a bunch of grand canyons Exactly. You know, I, I get asked that question by well-meaning people and also by uh, scoffers and skeptics. And I feel God's given me uh, a proper answer. Normally, if someone will ask me um, if the Colorado River carved out Grand Canyon over millions of years, uh, or if there was a global flood, why don't we have Grand Canyons all over the place? Well, I answer the, those questions like this. It took a very special set of circumstances to form Grand Canyon. Toward the end of the global flood, continental drift had taken place quickly. This, the continents had separated. Late flood water running off across what is now the southwestern U.S. removed stratified layers two miles deep over the, uh, the Coconino Plateau, which is where Grand Canyon is formed. So if you were on the rim of Grand Canyon, there used to be, and it's a mile from the rim down to the river, that's nothing. There used to be two miles uh, of layers above the layer that makes up the rim of Grand Canyon today, which is Kaibab limestone, by the way. But the waters had removed those layers at that time. And this is toward the very end of the flood. The mountains arose, the Rocky Mountains in a north-south trending direction, uh, north of the canyon, uh, the Sierra Madres in a north-south trending direction uh, in, the, in California that diverted late flood waters, which formed as they dissipated a channeling event uh, as the two miles had been removed from above the, that region, leaving behind the Grand Staircase, which includes Bryce, Zion, Vermilion Cliffs, by the way, huge erosional vent, uh, the Colorado Plateau buckled upward, called the Kaibab Plateau or Kaibab Upwarp, and late floodwaters channeled from the north through Marble Canyon and from the east through the Little Colorado River Canyon, they met at the base of that upwork and cut through the upwork, leaving behind Grand Canyon in a matter of days. Now, when you're at the rim of Grand Canyon, you're on top of the upwork, looking into the chasm that cuts through the upwork. The canyon doesn't cut a mile deep into the plain. No, no, it cuts through the upwork and left Grand Canyon behind very, very quickly. And that's why you don't find the, the missing 900 miles of sediments along the Colorado River or down in the Sea of Cortez or the Gulf because the river had nothing to do with the uh, major formation of Grand Canyon. The river entered the already formed canyon. And while the Grand Canyon's missing 900 cubic miles, I briefly mentioned the Grand Staircase. The removal of those two miles of layers for tens of thousands of square miles didn't remove 900 cubic miles of sediments. No, no, it removed 133,000 cubic miles of sediments. The missing sediments of Grand Canyon are not even 1% of what was removed to leave behind the staircase. So if you uh, go north from Grand Canyon, you uh, go about 65 miles north and you pick up the 2,000 to 2,500 foot cliff that are called the Vermilion Cliffs. Now, if you climbed up on top of those and went another 40 to 45 miles, you'll hit another 2,500 foot tall set of cliffs, the white and gray cliffs where we find Zion. If you climbed up on top of those and went 45 or so miles north, you would come to the, another 2,500-foot-tall cliff, the Pink Cliffs, where we find Bryce. That's the edges of the erosional event that left behind the Grand Staircase and moved 
removed around 133,000 cubic miles of sediments, leaving no evidence of where they went because they were dispersed uh, widely by the late floodwaters. Yeah, I mean, folks, you have got to 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 get uh, Russ's stuff and and watch his videos. It really is stunning uh, how you know it validates God's word. Uh, as you, another phrase of yours that I've said, cover to co- word for word and cover to cover. I think is the way you say it, and uh, and it really is. It's so encouraging and 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 builds us up in the faith to know that God's word is true precisely as it as it is. But you see evidence of the global flood all over the planet, not just the Grand Canyon. I mean, it truly is the linchpin when you understand it properly. Uh, But, I mean, that's the reason we have, uh, you know, seashells and uh, fish fossils on the top of tall mountains where they've never been anywhere near the sea unless you believe the Bible and you understand there was a global flood, right? Absolutely. And um, the the Grand Canyon, you know, people say to me, I I haven't ever seen any proof of the flood. Well, hey, the, the, the stratified layers laid down by water average a mile deep around the globe. I mean, you've been standing on it your whole life. <laughs> if you drive through a cut in a highway through a hill, you, you usually can find the, the stratified uh, rock layers or you can see them as you go through them. So that's all proof of the flood. And remember, the old earth beliefs based on uniform processes and denial of the flood, as we were told, would take place in Second Peter 3, 3 through 6. They were only invented about 220 years ago. They're a new invention, and uh, that's where the old earth beliefs come from. Yeah, uh, I should I should mention also in Second Peter three that they we were, as you read uh, the scoffers would claim uniform processes and deny that that God made the heavens mature and the global flood. Well, we talked about the flood. People ask me a lot of times, JB, how did God get light here in a six day creation? Well, my first response is, well, he didn't. He got here on the first day of creation. Now, somehow that doesn't generally help them with their issues. So so I explained that, you know, scientists in labs, uh, right now light travels 186,282 miles per second through our atmosphere. Well, scientists in labs have been able to slow light to 100 miles per hour. They've slowed light to 30 miles per hour. They've been able to bring light to a dead stop and capture it and then re-release it. Other scientists working in conjunction with Princeton were able to speed light impulses to 300 times the speed of light, to 55 million miles per second. So my contention is this. If mankind and our finite little brains can play around the speed of light, the creator of the universe, the creator of life, the creator of genetic information has no problem getting light anywhere he wants, anytime he wants it there, like on day one of the creation. And when, and by the way, God's spirit was hovering above the earth, so he actually made light here. If you have a problem with how did God get light somewhere, it's not how did he get it here, it's how did he get it out there. Yeah, just to correct the misconception there. But God has no problem with light. Um, and we can trust his word, word for word and cover to cover, as I like to say. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. Uh, it goes to the heart of your understanding of, 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 of who God is. And so many people try to try to interpret God and understand God through the lens of human reasoning. But it really does begin with those first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God, you start there. And then everything falls into place and makes uh, makes perfect sense. It's a, it's about it's about faith. Now, one one question uh, that I know our listeners want me to ask you, uh, and I would be in trouble if I didn't before we wrap up, and that is about the dinosaurs. I've taught uh, many times in various contexts and conferences that I've done that dinosaurs were on the ark. But for some reason, that's a, another stumbling block. And of course, it goes hand in glove with your five pillars of, of this uh, old earth beliefs. Uh, they, they've been taught so many times that dinosaurs are proof of old earth that they just can't. It's like cognitive dissonance. They can't get their hands around it. But uh, talk to us a little bit about the dinosaurs. Well, again, Satan is an expert at what he does. And we read dinosaur books to our kids. Kids are enthralled with dinosaurs. And the very first line of a secular dinosaur book that we read to our children and grandchildren, the very first line is 65 million years ago, dinosaurs went extinct. Well, that's the last thing these innocent children 
disappear before they go to sleep. Well, you know, when they're 10 years old, the parent tries to tell them by one man sin entered the world and death by man's sin. And they're going, wait a minute, mom, wait a minute, granddad. You've been telling me death and suffering existed for millions and millions of years before man even existed. So Satan is good at what he does. So how do, how do dinosaurs fit into a biblical worldview? And the answer is extremely well. We're told man and beast were both made on day six. That would be, mean that man and dinosaur lived together. And what I will tell people is that um, if dinosaurs had been gone for 60 plus million years before man even existed, there, will, there would be zero evidence of man and dinosaur living at the same time. There would be zero evidence of any fe uh, fresh dinosaur remains out there. And then I go through some information that most of us have heard, never given it a second thought to. Uh, first of all, let's go back and start with the ark. There were only about 50 kinds of dinosaurs. And Noah was to bring two of every kind. So he, he didn't have to bring every variety of seropod. He only had to bring a pair. Those were the long necks, the really large dinosaurs. He only had to bring a pair, probably young ones. I'm going to say the largest animal on the ark. Uh, was probably a pair of seropods. They were probably about young ones about the size of an Indian elephant. Uh, some of the, the average size of a dinosaur was the size of a Shetland pony. So mm. getting them on the ark was not an issue. Again, young ones for the few, the handful of really large dinosaurs. Now, the evidence of, of man and dinosaur after the flood is really uh, tremendous. Uh, think about, picture a timeline. And here we are today. Uh, we find cave drawings and man-made carvings and various accounts of dragons. We call those dragon stories today. And all these things were made 700 to 2,000 years ago. So people all over the world knew what they looked like, but they called them dragons and serpents in 700 to 2,000 years ago. Well, about 190 or so years ago, we came up with the uh, word dinosaur. And we didn't recognize dinosaur bones until just about 200 years ago. Now, if we didn't recognize dinosaur bones till 200 years ago, and I'm sorry, the word dinosaur about 140 years ago. If we didn't recognize dinosaur bones till 200 years ago, how did people all over the world know about them and know what they look like and write about them and draw pictures of them 700 to 2,000 years ago? Well, obviously, they did well for a few uh, thousand years after the ark and probably loss of habitat and competition with man who is developing better and better weapons. Uh, probably most, most of all, though, uh, the, the change in habitat. And they, they pretty much disappeared about 700, 600 years ago. And uh, then they, we went about 400 years with nobody seeing them or talking about them, and they discovered dinosaur bones, and all of a sudden it was, these have been gone 65 million years, and that's where we are today. But, you know, just in the last 30 years, over 100 non-fossilized dinosaur bones have been found that still contain red blood cells, amino acids, uh, even dinosaur DNA, and soft, flexible dinosaur tissues are found today. And non-fossilized dinosaur bones are found, partially fossilized dinosaur bones are found, etc. There's no way these biological materials could be more than a few thousand years old, even under, under the best of conditions. Uh, again, all the uh, the dragon accounts and and the cave drawings that are less than two thousand years old show that people had to see them post blood. Yeah, and you know, I I love what you said there about how we we make a mistake when we read these these secular uh, dinosaur books uh, to our kids. Uh, why not read the Bible, you know, to your young children? I mean, the Bible's got fascinating historical accounts that will blow away any Hollywood script or any man-made, you know, children's book. And by the way, Russ has also authored uh, some children's coloring books. One of which is a dinosaur uh, book that. Uh, kids love dinosaurs. Let's let's capitalize on that and and explain them about dinosaurs through a biblical lens. And uh, so I love that. That's available at his website, creationministries.org. But another thing that I I love when you, uh, you the way you talk about this with you know they find one small tiny bone and then they extrapolate from that a how old it is. Uh, and then B, this they build these big, you know, uh, 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 
contraptions or whatever they are in these museums, all based on one tiny bone. And, and, you know, uh, you know, you take away, uh, what do you, what is it? You say you take away their crayons and they got nothing left because all, basically all of the dinosaur teaching and Darwinian evolution teaching is, is extrapolation from uniform processes where they, they make some assumptions and then they draw a bunch of pictures. You know, we don't see any evidence, factual scientific evidence of, the different, you know, crow magnet and all these different men. Those are just diagrams that somebody made up and with his crayons, he drew them out in a book, right? Well, you know, you know, JB, that's interesting you bring that up because the two most popular well-known dinosaurs are T-Rex and the Brontosaurus. Well, the problem with the Brontosaurus is it never existed. It was a mistake. Uh, you were talking about their mistakes, but they took some bones from an Apatosaurus and put the head of a Diplodocus on there and came up with Brontosaurus and then found out, oops, we we, uh, we made a mistake there. That was wrong. And yet it's now one of the most popular. If people, if you ask people, what's your favorite dinosaur? Most of most of the time they'll say either T-Rex or Brontosaurus. <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah. I tell you what, folks, uh, you need to, you owe it to yourself to research this. It. Uh, I want to close out by by talking, uh, you know, for a second here about the implications for prophecy. It, you've said it several times, Russ. It is fascinating how we are living in living color the reality of what Peter talked about in Second Peter three three through six, and that to me that's a sign of the times. Because remember, this whole notion of Darwinism, uh, you know, old Earth beliefs, all of that is only you know one to two hundred years old, and and that to me is you know, a sign of the times that we're getting closer and closer. And it, it relates to a subject that I've talked a lot about recently and, and write about in the in my last two books, and that is transhumanism, this notion that mankind is meaningless, is, is just this useless breather, that he's redundant, that we can improve on it, we can make him better, and we will transcend uh, human present Homo sapiens humanity the same way Homo sapiens, according to Darwin, transcended you know a, a wet rock essentially over sixty five million years. So uh, to me, it's it's really it's capturing the minds of young people. It's deceiving people. I, I remember uh, before we uh, came to Plum Creek Chapel when we were uh, just had not by works and we were lived up in the mountains, a very remote area. Um, we we were i was teaching at a kind of a loosely affiliated it wasn't really even a church it was they met in a uh, a private school that was up in the mountains the only school within 20 30 miles up there it was a charter school um very wealthy area but very remote area we were 45 minutes from the nearest gas station and i was a teaching pastor there when i was in town and we had some good friends up there really enjoyed our our 3 years there but one of the things I tried to help that church do is to constitute and, and come up with their bylaws and so forth. And I fought so hard to have young earth hardwired into the doctrinal statement of that church, but the people wouldn't have it. I mean, and these were smart people. I mean, they were lawyers, engineers. I mean, it's a very wealthy area. I mean, most of the people up there, they had second, third, fourth homes, uh, but they just looked at me like I was nuts. And no matter how patiently I tried to explain it, they just said, no, we're not going to, we're not going to do it. We don't think it's important, but folks, it is important. It is important. Russ, I'll give you the last word as you kind of uh, share anything else that's on your heart. I appreciate that. There's a couple things I'd like to add. Uh, you carry our, um, our thumb drive and DVD called Give a Reason based on 1 Peter 3.15, Give a Reason for the Hope that's in Your Heart. And it's on, on my website as well, both in a thumb drive and or a DVD to get them from JB or from me. But it has my four top teachings on it, and it was, it was designed to make an impact. Uh, I, I let people make all the copies of this to give away they want. If you want to get this thumb drive or DVD, um, it, and you can give out a million copies if you'd like, and it has a huge impact. It's got my four main teachings uh, that impact people. Number one, the top 10 Darwinian frauds. And it, it people think, oh, I couldn't get lied to. When they see this, it'll blow them away. It's the only teaching I have on Darwinism because there's nothing left to talk about about Darwinism after you see this. The second teaching, and it caused one college to launch an accredited course attacking me and 
biblical creation after a biology teacher quit her job and became a Christian after seeing it. Mm. It'll have an impact. Uh, the second teaching on there is endowed by our creator and how the teaching of millions of years leading to Darwinism has undermined our Christian roots in this country. Uh, the third teaching is the top old earth beliefs, which will do to the old earth beliefs and explain the old earth beliefs. The same thing as what I've done with Darwinism in the first teaching. And the last one is answering the top 20 uh, skeptical questions. And those four teachings are powerful. They will make an impact on a skeptic to a, to a mature Christian and everybody in between. And you can get that off a of JB site or mine and you can yep. take all the copies that you want. Let me let me interject real quick. So we uh, we sold your stuff for years, but we just rolled out a brand new store, and we've not posted it on there yet. So I want to encourage folks to get it from from your site. Go to creationministries.org. Um, we still do have a little bit of inventory left, and we probably will post it eventually. But I'll get with Joanna, and we'll order some more inventory so we're prepared for it. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, I would just I would drive people straight to creationministries.org, uh, and that's where you can get it. But I, I love that you say, hey, make copies of it, you know, uh, spread the words, spread it around. People need to hear this, and it, it is changing lives, absolutely. You know, JB, we, we start, we, we, we've talked about a few things, but we wanted to talk about the importance of, of creation with regard to end times prophecy. So let, let me just uh, mention four Four pieces of scripture here uh, in second uh, timothy 3 verses 1 through 5 this is the last days prophecy we're told in the last days men would be love and i'm going to paraphrase this they're going to be lovers of themselves their own knowledge they're prideful boastful um rebellious and at the end of that list it says they're going to have a form of godliness not exactly god but a form of godliness denying its power well, who denies God's power? I believe in God. Well, he couldn't have created in six days or judged the world with a global flood. And the end of that, uh, verse 5 says, from such turn away. And 2 Timothy uh, 4, verse 3, we're told about uh, people in the last days again will surround themselves with teachers. They'll teach their itching ears what they want to hear rather than the truth. And they'll turn from the truth to fables. We see that all over the place today. Does creation matter? The church of Laodicea, uh, which Jesus says he will vomit from his mouth, he has the angel introduce him to the church of Laodicea as the creator. Hey, your creator's here. Mm. You know, the one who's been denying. And where's Jesus? He's outside knocking, saying he will vomit them from his mouth. It's mm. vital. The last time the gospel is mentioned in the Bible is in Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7, where we're told, I saw an angel holding the everlasting gospel flying across the sky. And what was the angel doing holding the everlasting gospel the last time the gospel is mentioned in the Bible? The angel is exhorting the people of earth to worship the God of creation, mm -hmm. the God who created the heavens, the earth, and, and the springs of water. The last time the gospel is mentioned, the first five words again in the Bible, in the beginning, God created. God, the first thing he does is announce he's the creator. All he asks is that we believe in him. Because he's our creator, he has the right to judge us. And being our judge who loves us, he put the death sentence we deserve on himself and came to life and suffered and died a horrible death. His shed blood covering our sin. And the only thing he asks us to do is to believe in him. My friends, put your trust in the Word of God, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, the one and only Jesus Christ found in the Bible. Amen. Amen and amen. Thank you so much, Russ. I mean, just uh, well said, and uh, we're definitely going to have to have you back on uh, and and talk more about this. It's a it's such a key issue, and it's such a, a prescient issue for for what lies ahead and what's headed our way. So thank you very much. God bless you. I hope you have a, a safe trip and a wonderful trip. Say hello to Bill and Susie for me. But as we wrap up, uh, 
and hang around. I want to just say goodbye to you off air. But uh, as we wrap up, I want to mention uh, we launched a brand new subscription premier membership on the Not By Works website. God has been so good to our ministry over the last two or three years, and we've just been pouring uh, the, the the generosity of our of our f- uh, followers back into the ministry to improve on things. That's why we rolled out the new uh, website a couple of years ago. Then we rolled out the new store, but we now have a new premier membership subscription. Check it out. Uh, we announced it in a newsletter that went out earlier this week. Uh, but if you go to our website, click on the store, and then in the store there, you'll see uh, the option for premier membership. And the reason I mention that is we're going to be offering uh, exclusive content uh, I'll still have all of my free videos and free podcasts like we do now. Our goal is to get the gospel out and to proclaim the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message. Uh, but we wanted to go above and beyond that. So we're going to have new content, exclusive content, uh, scheduled Zoom meetings by invitation only for the, the premier membership. Uh, and I know it's something that uh, several of you have already signed up for, uh, and we just want to make you aware of it. If you haven't checked out our website lately, uh, check out the new premier uh, membership. And then also wanted to mentioned I'll be uh, next week, I guess it's next weekend, not this coming weekend, but a week from tomorrow. In fact, a week from today, uh, I'll be headed to Oklahoma uh, for uh, the uh, conference for Prophecy Watchers there in Norman. And if you're in the area, come by and see us. I know many of our folks are going to be attending that conference. Be sure you come by and say hello and meet Wendy and Brooke and uh, my other kids, Landry and my granddaughter. Uh, And then uh, we'll also be in East Texas the following week. You can find all this out at notbyworks.org on our events tab. But I'll be at a large church, First Baptist Church of Flint, in Flint, Texas, a suburb of Tyler, Texas. Be speaking three times on Sunday, October the 15th. So I hope you'll check that out as well. Thanks again, Russ. Uh, God bless you. And uh, everyone have a great weekend. Don't forget, I've got Shane on tomorrow to talk about uh, technology. And uh, we will uh, talk to you then. God bless.